Thank you all for leading us tonight. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis number 3 tonight. Let's get into the Word of God together. Genesis chapter 3. Let's ask the Lord's blessing over His Word tonight. We're going to get into this. I believe there's some things here tonight that can help us. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for each person here. We thank you, God, for the music. Uh, Lord, we thank you for meeting our needs. Um, Lord, we're a blessed people, and God, help us to direct all praise and glory to you. Uh, God, we love you. Bless your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis number 3. You know, the great problem of, of life, the great challenge of life that we battle is just really one word, it's sin. Um, you know, while we struggle, while we suffer, while we uh, battle uh, addictions, while we uh, experience loss and heartbreak and heartache, all has its root in what we're going to look at tonight. Sin is the great problem of life. Um, it's the great problem of our homes. And uh, 100% of us battle it on some, on some level. And, uh, and I think as we get into Genesis 3 tonight, uh, we're going to learn some things, I think, about our enemy. I think we're going to learn some things uh, about ourselves. I mean, we're going to learn some things about our God, who, who is the great defender, who is the great deliverer, uh, who is our Savior. Um, and so tonight, let's, let's dig into this. Genesis chapter number 3. Uh, beginning at verse 1, notice what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said. That's the title tonight for the message. Indeed, has God said. You shall not eat from any, any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Tonight we're going to look at the entirety of the chapter, but we can stop after verse 7 for now. Now I want to share uh, three thoughts with us tonight from Genesis 3. The first thought is this. I want us to look at the origin of sin. Uh, The origin of sin. In this study, we have, we have nailed down that God is the creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, God created everything in complete perfection. John one thirty one says that he created it all and that he saw that everything he had made and that it indeed was very good. And then Genesis 2 gave us the account of the creation of the first man and first woman Eve, in the last verse of Genesis 2, we read, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This verse describes, what we finished that last week, describes perfect childlike innocence in the life of Adam and Eve. Adam nor Eve didn't know good or evil as of yet. 
But after Genesis 2, everything changes. Everything changes. I want you to notice in our text tonight a terrible deception. A terrible deception. We see that the serpent comes to Eve, and uh, the Bible uh, tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Uh, How many understand tonight and believe that our enemy, the devil, is the father of all lies? Now, keep in mind, we're looking at the fall of humanity tonight in Genesis 3, but we're not looking at the first sin. Because we understand that the first sin happened when Lucifer decided that he wanted to be like God, and in his pride, he defied God and got thrown out of heaven, and a third of the angelic host followed him. And that's why we have who we know as Satan today and his demonic uh, army that is after the people of God and after the church and is influencing uh, the world in such an evil manner. The devil is more crafty. The word crafty means skillful and underhand or evil schemes. It means deceitful. And notice the first thing that the devil gets Eve to question that he does for all of us as well. This is how the devil works. He gets, the first thing he does is he gets Eve to question God's commands. He gets Eve to question God's command. He says, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, somebody tell me, is that what God had said? No, it's not what God had said. So he kind of twists the words of God. And how many understand that today, there are many out here today twisting the word of God to fit their narrative and their preconceived ideas of what they think it should say. Uh, That's called eisegesis, making it all about you. And so the devil gets her to question God's commands. Here's what God commanded Adam in Genesis 2. He said, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Of every tree, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he gets her to question God's commands. The devil asks Eve this question to get her mind uh, going and, con- and then confuses her. Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. This certainly wasn't what God said at all. Eve responded rightly in that she said, when she responds to the devil, she says this, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden except for the tree in the midst of the garden. But we see her confusion in verse 3, because now Eve gets things mixed up with what God says. So the devil gets her to question God's command and confuses her, and she says in verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you should not eat from it, and then she adds, or touch it. God never told him not to touch it. So we see that she is confused. I don't know, maybe as she talked to Adam, her husband, maybe he added this to protect her, and she was just repeating what Adam told her. We, we, don't, we don't know. Maybe at this moment, the pressure the devil was putting on her created this type of confusion. You know how it gets when you're being manipulated and intimidated, and you feel fra- frazzled, and maybe that's how she, he, she felt. 
The point is this, the devil wants to distort the Word of God for every person here and make it unbelievable. He wants to attack God's commands. He wants you questioning God's commands. But the second thing is this, he wants you questioning not only God's commands, but he wants you questioning God's character. He wants you questioning God's character. After her response, he looks at Eve and literally he is saying God has lied to you. He said, God has lied to you. The one who created you and and formed you out of your husband, he has lied to you. Now notice what he he says. He says, the serpent, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. You surely will not die. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So he gets her to question God's original commandment. Now he gets her to question God's character and said, he's, he's kind of holding out on you. He's lying to you about what he said. He knows when you eat it, Eve, you're going to be like he is. Now, and Eve, think about that. I mean, Eve thinks, oh, well, that's, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Why is God withholding that? Why is he holding this from me? I mean, this sounds great. I'm going to be like God is. Hey, now look, think about this. Isn't that what got the devil kicked out of heaven? He wanted to be like God. So isn't it true that, that, that people who, who usually do wrong, they want others to do wrong with them? They want others to do wrong with them. They want to drag other people around, along with them. Uh, they don't want to be isolated in the wrong they're choosing to do. They want to take other people with them. That's kind of how the devil is acting right here. He's dragging Eve into this scheme, convincing her you can be like God. So he gets Eve feeling pretty good about herself. You know, and he desires that every person here tonight would buy into the lie that you can make it by yourself, that you can be a God to yourself and have no need for the God of the Bible. He wants you believing that with everything in him. He gets her to question God's commands and God's character. We see a terrible deception, but notice number two, a tragic decision. Look at verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate it, gave it to her husband. And he ate with her and he, now he, and he also ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. You see, God desired for creation, his creation, to choose to love him to choose to love him. He wanted them on their own free will to choose him. Uh, Look at verse 9 real quick of chapter 2. He says, Out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave them plenty of provision and wanted them to choose to do what's right, to choose him, to choose to be obedient. See, Adam and Eve could have chosen life, but they're led astray by Satan and his scheme. The decision they make changes the course of humanity. God's perfect and beautiful creation is now marred by the wrong choice to disobey God by Adam and Eve. How many understand that the wrong choices we make in life affect not only us, but everyone around us and those that come after us. 
Adam and Eve make a choice that changes the course of humanity. And then the text says, a sad verse, the eyes of them were both opened and they knew they were naked. For the very first time in, in, in humans, humanity's existence, in their existence, they felt shame. They felt shame. They knew and realized what they had done immediately. They were disobedient to God, and they, they, they felt all the weight of that. Have you ever felt shame before? It's a tormenting feeling. Knowing that you have deliberately done something that is wrong. They knew they were naked. They were ashamed at what they had done. They felt shame, but then they felt self-righteousness. You know, in verse 7, we see for the first time so often what you and I try to do. It comes from our uh, the, the first parents, Adam and Eve. We see in verse 7, what do they immediately try to do? They feel the shame. They feel the weight of everything that they have just done in disobeying God, and they try to fix it themselves. Don't oh, you and I often do that? We try to cover things up. We try to fix it ourselves. We get defensive. Uh, and... It always makes things worse. I don't know about in your life, but in my life, whenever I try to fix things myself, when I've done something wrong, I always end up making it worse. So we see the first time, the first evidence of shame, and then we see self-righteousness on display as they sow fig leaves together for themselves. You see, the, the devil had convinced them that they didn't need God. So in these moments of shame, they, they seek to try to figure out, how can I fix this? How can I fix this feeling that I am, I've not experienced before? So instead of calling on God, they sowed fig leaves together. And there are many today who rather than turning to God, they try and seek to make coverings for themselves, whether it's being religious or doing good deeds or whatever the case may be. They seek to try to cover their shame with something else other than God. gives them a temporary feeling of accomplishment, but it never gives them any peace. Soon the emptiness, the shame, the loneliness, and the helplessness all come by. Humanity needed something more than a man-made covering. I want you to notice, number two, we've seen the origin of sin. This is where it came from, but I want you to notice, number two, the outcome of sin. Let's look at the outcome of sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, the condition of humanity is now altered. Everything has changed from perfect to sinful. Notice the outcome. I want to share four things quickly with us. We see the outcome of sin is evasion. Look at, look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and the man and, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We see the first outcome of sin that has invaded humanity now. Everything's changed is evasion, trying to hide, get away from God. And you know, this is what shame does. It drives us to hide. Drives us to hide. 
Tyler did something wrong the other day, and he ran to hide from his daddy because he knew that he was in trouble. And uh, I think he th- that particular time he hid under the covers uh, in his bed, thinking I wouldn't notice when I walked into his room. Um, shame drives us to hide. But, you know, shame does something deeper. Shame wants to drive everyone here. Shame wants to drive people to believe they can't be forgiven. Shame drives us to hide, but it, it pushes us further. You know, shame's different than guilt. Shame's a lot stronger than guilt. And shame wants to convince us that we can never be forgiven. And, and this is what Adam and Eve are battling. Isn't it true that often, while we struggle so much with our past, now we all, everybody in here has things in their past they're not, they're ashamed of, they're not proud of. And why the devil's the accuser of the brethren, why he likes to bring that up is because he wants us to believe all of that stuff we've ever did. You really think you're forgiven from that? Shame wants you to think that you can't be forgiven from those terrible things you've done. He wants me to think I can't be forgiven from the things that I have done. Shame convinces us that the damage we've done is irreparable. And this is the condition that many, if you just talk to several people, if you sit down and have some open conversations, you'll find out many people struggle in this way. They have a hard time believing that things they have done can be forgiven. This is what Adam and Eve are feeling. You know, nowhere in the text does it indicate that God was walking through the garden as some angry dad that's just in a fit of rage at what his kids have done. No, the idea is that God is walking through the garden in kindness and gentleness, and he, he gently calls to them out of his goodness. God calls to Adam and says, where, where are you? Now, <coughs> we, we know God didn't need Adam to tell him where he was at. We know that, don't we? God knew exactly where he was at. But he calls to Adam and says, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to acknowledge and explain why he was hiding. He wanted Adam to take responsibility for what was going on. You see, shame drives us to hide, but the truth is that, that and this is liberating. I mean, it might be scary for some of us, but it's liberating to know we can't hide from God. Isn't that true? It's liberating to know that my, my life is open to the eyes of God at all times. You know, in, in Ephesians, it tells us that, uh, that the or I'm sorry, not Ephesians, it says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil, Solomon told us. And so, we know the eyes of the Lord in every place, that's liberating to us. It helps us. There's no hiding from God. In Psalms 139, it says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down, when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. There's no hiding from God. The Bible's clear. Look, evasion is an outcome of sin. The second thing is this. Excuses are an outcome of sin. Excuses. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says, and I was naked, so, or I'm sorry, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, God asking a question that he doesn't need to ask. 
The man said, the woman, verse 12, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from, from the tree, and I ate. Since the garden, men's been blaming their wives. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, something I want you to catch in verse 12. It says the man said he wants to push blame on his wife, but we notice that he blames a couple of individuals here in that verse, doesn't he? He says, what does he say? The woman that you gave me. So he pushes blame even. He's, he's all, all, you know, imagine the audacity. He pushes blame back on God. God, this is the woman you gave me. It's her fault. Then the, then the woman says it's the serpent's fault. And since the garden, this has been going on in the lives of marriages and families. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. Hey, another liberating truth. You know, we can't hide from God. That's liberating when you really embrace that truth. that The Bible tells us and we know it to be true. We can't hide from God. But another liberating truth is this, is own it when you do something wrong. You know, in the, in the moment, it's not pleasant, of course. But being honest... And owning when you mess up, when you sin, there's liberation and freedom after that. But take responsibility for your actions. Excuses has been the outcome of sin. The third thing is this, evil is the outcome of sin. Look at verses 14 through 20 quickly. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days uh, of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, now who, right here, stop right here a second. When he says, when the Bible tells us, he shall bruise you on the head. Who's that talking about? Talking about Satan is going to have his head bruised, but who's going to bruise him? Jesus. That's a good part to highlight in your, in your Bible. We're going to get to this more in a second. And you shall bruise him on the hill. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, by which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, curses the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat. Of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. There was a curse because of sin placed on creation. Evil has now marred. The verses we just read speak of the, uh, the scarring that has now taken place, uh, the staining of God's perfect creation. There's pain, sorrow, corruption, and death. Things God never intended for his creation. You know, it's often that in life when terrible things happen, when tragedy strikes, when difficulties happen, there's the temptation that we have because we know God. We know God is in control. We know God is sovereign. We know God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. He's everywhere. He knows all things, and he's all-powerful. We believe those things, and the temptation is, is to, to really cast blame like Adam did on God, to push blame on God when things in life go wrong, when those tragedies happen. 
But the truth is that these things exist because of what we're reading about tonight. The willful choice of disobedience. So something God's teaching me in my life and I've learned in my life over the last few years is to direct the anger that I have towards the tragedies that I deal with, the difficulties I go through, the devastating moments of life, direct the anger toward the source of sin. Because of sin, we have death and corruption and decay, uh, family uh, dissension, all kinds of things that we deal with that God never intended for his creation. Evil is, the, is an outcome of sin. The fourth thing is this, excommunication. Look at verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. In his justice, God had to punish Adam for what he had done and cast him, excommunicated him from the Garden of Eden. But you know, here's the greatest part tonight of the message. In his mercy, God made a way of escape. So the last thing tonight, and I'll move quickly, is this, the overcoming of sin. We've seen the origin, the outcome, but let's look at the overcoming of sin. Quickly, verse 15, we just read it a moment ago. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you, <coughs> and you shall bruise him on the heel. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed, and clothed them. You know, one thing we see in verse 15, we see the prophecy. We see the prophecy of the Son of God that will defeat and destroy the devil. How, <coughs> how many understand? Tonight, look, I, you know, I hadn't coughed all day until I get up here to start preaching, and now I just got this tickle. But how many understand tonight that the devil's defeated? Right, we see it right here. This is the truth. Satan's a defeated foe. One day he's going to be completely annihilated, destroyed. You know, and, and, and God has uh, given us this wonderful verse that tells us that Jesus is going to take care of, of this situation. This is the first prophetic statement in the Bible about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus. He's going to destroy him one day with a fatal blow, the text says. God didn't leave Adam and Eve hopeless. We see God's mercy, His grace, His love for them. We see the prophecy in verse 15, but we see in verse 21 the provision. Now, again, we try to make coverings for ourselves. We can try to earn our way to heaven, but you know it's never enough. We know that. I'm talking to the church tonight. I'm talking to believers. We know that to be true. We we remember what it was like outside of Jesus. Now, we tried to do some of those things. Our covering will never save us. We need God's covering. So God provided that covering for Adam and Eve. He put the clothing of animal skins on them. He made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. You see, something had to be sacrificed for them to be made right. And we know that Jesus came and after this prophecy. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And how many are thankful tonight that the clothing that you tried to cover yourself with and your sin and your shame and all of that, that God, when you got saved, he took all of that off of you 
and he put the clothing of Jesus' righteousness on your life. You are justified by your faith in Christ. The word justified means just as though you never sinned. Isn't that awesome? And because of your faith in Jesus, his clothing of righteousness is now applied to your life, and heaven will be your eternal home. You've been made right with God. He took all your sins on himself. Romans 5 tells us this, Therefore, as through one, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, Adam, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the Lord Jesus Christ, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. First, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Look, there's a lot of people out here outside the walls of our church that are trying to earn their way. And they need somebody to tell them that they can't. They need somebody to tell them, look, you can go to, I don't know if you've ever tried to witness to people before from Genesis chapter 3, but you can after tonight. You can witness to them. You can show them the origin of sin and where, where all this come from. You can show them how God provided a way for Adam and Eve and how that was a foreshadowing of the provision he would make in Jesus Christ and how he provided that, that covering, that, that, that sacrifice through Christ on the cross for all of their sin. People need someone to tell them the truth. You know, how do we witness to someone about Christ? Quickly, we share the word with them. You share with them the way. Jesus is the only way. You believe that? He's the only way to heaven. He is the one that was sacrificed for the sins of the world. You share with them that the way, but you share with them the obstacle. That's what we've read about tonight in Genesis 3. The obstacle is that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. You share with them the reason Christ came. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. To draw men, women, boys, and girls to himself. And then you share the decision they have to make. And that is, follow Jesus. Trust Jesus with your life. It's a very simple way to share the gospel with people who desperately need the hope of a relationship with Christ. Let's stand together tonight. Let's thank God for saving us as we close tonight. Let's thank God for the covering he has provided through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Brother Ken Sherrill to close us in prayer.